Hello, editing Beth here. Just a quick note to say that obviously on the head of a pin, this week's episode has been highly anticipated. We've got lots of great stuff for Jamie to learn and react to. So by popular demand, what I did do was ask her to sit with me and watch the episode so that we could record some of her reactions live for you guys to hear. The first couple of minutes of this episode are just going to be a snapshot of all of her reactions. I hope you enjoy. I hope you've all had a very safe and happy holiday season, no matter what you celebrate or if you're not celebrating at all. Hopefully you at least had a good break. So without further ado, here's this week's episode and thanks so much for listening. Are you going to make me watch a recap? <laughs> yep. Rude. Okay, so you know we're getting into serious law shit when they're bringing back Anna and the recap. Again, easily recoverable from stabbable wounds. Why do they not take him to the ER ever? I'm not engaging with you. <laughs> Which means I get to say whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> Killing another lady for man pain. I love this shot. What is with them and putting women in white dresses? Someone ripped out her grace and forced her, to, forced her to fall. I'm writing it down. I don't give a shit. You get to hear all of the shit I normally say to myself. Wow, you're really writing notes there. That seems like a bad thing. Too close to the humans. Are we pretending that his humans are anyone but Dean at this point? Literally, like, they feel like I've gotten too close to the humans in my charge. Comma, you. <laughs> like. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to lie. I still think 401 is the funniest time for Destiny to have gone canon. But 416 is coming in a close second. What's with them in Cass' reaction shot? They're like, we paid Mr. Connell's and we got to get his reaction, I guess. Wait. Are you... Am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? You're seeing what you think you're seeing. <laughs> Do you want a moment? Demon blood bubble tea wins! <laughs> Do you know how long I have been waiting? My heart rate is currently 120. I'm sitting still on my bed. I have been <laughs> Demon blood psychic, bubble tea? Psychic Jamie for the win. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the rebar? for his life. This is well documented. This is well known. Between like the background music and like the choreography and the way they've shot it. I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I know that Misha can't throw a punch for his life. We know this. I just think it's hilarious that he got pushed onto rebar. Yeah, that's also hilarious. That's just the funniest thing. But that's not a production issue. That's just like a... That's just a... I can't believe they chose to do the same thing literally 11 years later. Cast that issues TL. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake off. And today we are finally talking about the 16th episode of season 4 titled On the Head of a Pin. Jamie, what did you think? Top of the episode. Demon Blood Bubble Tea. Demon Blood Bubble Tea. Demon Blood Bubble Tea. (laughs) I don't even remember... When you first made this joke, like I don't—it's been so long since you brought like up the demon blood. Back at the, like the, I feel like it was actually before they canon, like before it canonically started. I feel like it was literally in like the season finale of season three. I fucking don't remember because 
I have a feeling I made it when I was making my predictions for a season four. And I was like, yeah, but what if, yeah. like, Sam becomes the leader of hell? Uh-huh. And Dean's, like, secretly a demon. And then you've got, like, the dichotomy. Yeah. Look, whenever it was that you made this joke... It was so long ago and I have been dying to get to this episode because you're fucking right. And I don't know how you did it, but yeah, Sam's been drinking demon blood basically since Dean died. That's what he's been doing with Ruby for the four months that Dean was dead till now, except for like that brief kind of period of time. But yeah, I re- it Ruby. was either right near the end of season two or right near the start of season three that I made the joke because I did ma- I made the joke about fucking... Sam in the booty shorts yeah. and Cass making like the point of why are you going to uh-huh. Ruby for demon blood when your brother's a fucking demon. Uh-huh. So I don't know what it is with you and blood, but like <laughs> just fucking blood-based predictions only. If it's not a blood-based <laughs> prediction, like I'm not interested, like if unless it has something to do with Sam's goddamn demon blood, <laughs> like I'm out. I have no predictions. Like Okay, well, seeing as we're on it. Yeah. How are we, what's the vibe about Sam and the Demon Blood and, or Ruby? Like, how are we, what are the feelings about this? As much as it's like, vindication, I think it's kind of stupid. Okay. <laughs> like, well... not gonna lie. Like, as much as it's like, oh my god, yeah, I totally predicted this. It's also like, I don't know, it just feels like a really stupid. <laughs> but Jamie, you said it yourself. A little bit of Demon Blood, a little bit of powers. A lot of Demon Blood, a lot of powers. It's just maths. <laughs> And I'm bad at math, like, but even I can see I kind of wish that it was something, like, a little more elaborate. A, something a little more, like... So we know that, like, he is choosing to drink demon blood, yeah. right? But also, demon blood's the sort of thing that, like, Ruby could literally just spike his drinks with it. Okay. Like, it can be done to him without consent. Sure, like the initial taste. Like, the yeah. initial taste. Like, and don't get me wrong, like, I think it, like raises some really interesting questions about, like, bodily autonomy. Yeah. But it also gives Sam this sort of, like, level of deniability. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, obviously he can't, when he's fucking grabbing a knife and drinking it from, directly from, from the vein. Fucking, yeah. <laughs> he, he has no deniability there. But, like, in terms of, like, actually creating, like, a complex story, like, I don't know, it feels like they're giving him sort of, like, an out of, like... I think the opposite, actually. Because he's choosing to do it. And it removes that sense of deniability. Like, he can't say, I didn't know. He can't say it was Ruby who did it to me. Like, initially, the demon blood being put in his mouth, yeah, it was something that was done to him. This is something he's choosing to do. In this episode, he's asking for it. And, like, obviously there's, like, certain things that are, like, into play. I think, I don't think it's a a leap to say that, like, there is some sort of level of manipulation happening here. I also don't think it's a stretch to say there's some sort of, like, level of, like, a addictive quality to the Mm. demon blood yeah like just the way we've seen and like the way they've treated it as a plot point the way that sam says i need it yeah uh you know it's been days i need it yeah and also the way they 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 really refer to it in sort of like the same terms that you'd hear an alcoholic Mm -hmm. referring to being like sober it's the same sort of language Mm -hmm. which we just watched the bottom <laughs> job of leverage. And talked about how Sam and Nate are the same. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ironic that we happen to record those two episodes in the same week. The week where we got the reveal of, like, Nate's father being a shitty person and, like, Nate being desperate to step out of his father's shoes. Mm-hmm. It's the same episode where we reveal that Sam's actually basically an alcoholic just like Nate except for the demon blood. How the 
fuck did we manage to schedule this? I don't know. And, like, I understand that there was, like, nothing we could do to avoid Like, it was just, just a coincidence. the universe at like, work. There is really nothing we could do to avoid it in terms of, like, talking to each other and making sure we didn't schedule two incredibly heavy episodes <laughs> in the same week. But, like... I know. It's bizarre. Okay. So... Demon Blood, so you're thinking, like, you kind of wish that they had done something maybe a little bit more, like, sneaky Ruby, but, like, otherwise... I, I just, I don't know, I just feel like it gives, like, it opens the door for it to be, like, okay, well, yeah, Sam is choosing to do it now, but then Ruby could sort of, like, find a way to force him to ingest more, because unless he's actually actively, like, Confirming that everything he eats or drinks does not contain demon blood, which is a weird fucking sentence. <laughs> How do you feel knowing we've come to this point <laughs> when that sentence you just said made perfect sense? <laughs> but you know, like, unless he's actively checking for, like... Yeah. like it, Unless he's having Cass sniff every meal. Yeah, like, it opens up the possibility of it being something that at the moment isn't forced on him, but it could be something that was forced on him, if that makes sense. Yeah, what I think is really interesting about it is that it makes him very, very vulnerable because if we're going down the route of, like, it's like addiction, right, where else is he going to get demon blood from if not Ruby? So if Ruby fucks demon off... Demon Yeah, look, okay, sure, if that was the case... Look, 50% sure. of that prediction has come true. <laughs> the other 50%. He got a little bit closer this episode. You, that's, you know what? I guess so. We'll come back to that though. So, like, if she fucks off, she's leaving him an addict without the thing that he's addicted to. And what do addicts do when they no longer have their safe source of the thing that they are addicted to? Find it from somewhere else. Implications! Implications. So, like, this is... And, like, also... No wonder he didn't tell Dean. When did you remember me asking you? Do you think he would tell Dean if that was the case? And you were like, no, he would not tell Dean. And I was like, yes, that's the correct answer. But Dean still doesn't know. Yeah. The audience now knows, but Dean doesn't know. And technically neither does Cass. Cass know like, it was pretty clear from Cass's, like, reactions, like, to everything Sam was doing to Azazel. Like, the fact that Sam could literally kill that's do you know unparalleled power. The angels couldn't do that. Well, they could, but like... Yeah. Do you know what I think? I think Cass might suspect, but I don't think Cass knows. I don't think Cass knows. I think what Cass thinks is happening is that, again, that deniability thing is coming into effect and Ruby is spiking mm. like either his food or his drink with demon blood. And I think that's where Cass thinks the power is coming from. I don't think Cass realises... I think that I, he's choosing to do it. I think Cass trusts Sam. And the reason that I say that is A, because I think he trusts Dean mm. and Dean trusts Sam. Well, actually, that's maybe an arguable point at this point. But I think because Cass, when he goes to speak to Uriel, he specifies, like, well, Sam Winchester says mm. the demons aren't involved. And Cass is obviously inclined to believe Sam. Yeah. So, you know. I think that's less Cass is inclined to believe Sam and more Cass saw what okay, yeah, happened no, maybe with that's... Alistair. Mm. I think it's more so that he saw that, like, oh, no, it was a, there was a very real threat there of Sam killing Alistair. Mm-hmm. And Alistair did come out with, we don't know. And also yeah. just that level of, like, even when Cass was, like, they were, like, if we knew how to kill angels, 
we more than them. seven angels would be dead. Yeah, which is a great point. It's really. a fantastic point. And I, look, I didn't pick the plot reveal early on. I thought it might be Ruby. Not Ruby. I thought it might be Ada. Killing the angels. Killing the angels to try and drive, like, Cass closer to her. Yeah. I didn't spot the double cross with Uriel coming. I love Uriel. Like, as a character, I think, first of all, I think the actor does a phenomenal job. I think he, I've said this before, but he just brings such a gravitas to the role. He's just, I think his performance is just He seems eternal and unknowable. Yeah. He just, he comes across with just this, he he commands this space. Like, his performance is just, I, I adore it. And he is a really fascinating character in terms of, like, an angel as well. Because their biggest thing, like, their biggest sin that you can commit is disobedience, right? Mm-hmm. Is to, like, is to fall from, from grace by disobeying, kind of. Like, that's the And the he's thing. been holding that over Cass's head since mm-hmm. we met Cass. What's really interesting to me is that I don't think Uriel perceives this to be disobedience. I think he perceives this in a shift to who he's obeying. Like, he's like, well, I'm not going to be o- obedient to a god that I I think has left. Mm. I will be obedient to someone else, like who he steals to steals Lucifer, to his superior. Which is an interesting choice. It is an interesting choice. What makes you say that? So we've already we, we already know there is a hierarchy to the angels. Mm. So it's interesting for me that he didn't just go like one rung down the hierarchy on, of angels, mm-hmm. and instead he was like, "Yeah, no, I'm gonna look at the angel that fell." Mm. So technically, by class. Lucifer is an archangel, so by the ranking thing, he is technically going down by a rank to go to an archangel. Technically going down by a rank. <laughs> he is! It's just, he's he's going to an archangel, it's just that that particular archangel happens to be the one who disobeyed, fell from grace, and ended up in hell. But, technically, I don't know if he was ever stripped of his title, so <laughs> that makes him technically still an archangel, or even, I suppose... By species, because an archangel is, I don't think it's a spoiler to tell you, but an archangel is inherently more powerful than just, like, a seraph, which is what Castle you It's a bit like demons. Yeah, so, like, Azazel like, versus yeah. just, like, Ruby. And, of course, Meg's more powerful than all, because she's got my heart. Because she owns you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, also, the line from Cass where he says that Uriel is the funniest angel in the garrison, ask anyone, <laughs> it's so funny. I think it's a really great moment that shows, like, Cass... Like, yeah. he's just so blunt. <laughs> I do love him. Look, I'm starting to like Cass more, mm-hmm. especially moments like that. Because you can take Cass out yeah. and replace him with Parker, and she would make that same joke. I know, and this is why I knew you'd like Cass. They are the same. Yeah. I love Cass, and I this episode gives us so much about him. It really poses him as a much more in-depth character than we have gotten from him previously. Like, even even in that one scene where Anna shows up and he's like, you shouldn't be here, I'm under orders to kill you. And even though he hasn't at that point acknowledged that he's, like, wanting to disobey and experiencing doubt and stuff, because that's going to come out mm. of that conversation, he doesn't kill her. No. Like, theoretically, he just should kill her, because that's what he has been ordered to do. And not killing her is an act of disobedience. Exactly. Exactly. And so, like... Even though he is still acting under this sort of, like, guise of, well, no, I'm not like you, I, I, I would not disobey, you know, this kind of thing. Mm. It's like, you actively are, by engaging in this conversation with her, you are 
disobeying. Yeah. You just don't want to look By at it like that. By not killing her on sight, that is disobeying. Yeah. I really, really want to talk about Cass and Anna and their couple of conversations yeah. that they have. I just want to point out right, right, really early, Anna and Cass have more chemistry than Dean Anna, and Anna. Yeah. Who have canonically slept together. Don't get me wrong, I don't think it's like necessarily romantic like chemistry there. Yeah. But it like you can feel the, the tension. tension of like she kind of wants this idealized version of him and he doesn't want her but he wants what she represents. Yeah. But he's also too scared to go for what she represents. Yeah. It's like he sees Dean in her. <laughs> Look, I just want to know. Do we know? Like, because I've heard from you that, like, basically what happened is they cast Anna and they cast Cass and then they realised that people fucking loved Cass. Yeah. So what they did was they swapped Anna and Cass's storylines. At what point did they swap the storylines? They already have. They already have. I'm pretty sure. It's been a while since I checked into this yeah. so if anyone listening is like bethany you're you're wrong or whatever i apologize i'm not going to look it up right now unfortunately we are in a bit of a time crunch and i don't have it at the second but from what i remember Cass was supposed to die in the in this episode with the rebar i think yeah i know i i know i know jamie i know i'm i i know i'm gonna give you a minute to collect yourself Okay, so let's just let's just take stock of that for a minute. Yeah. So rebar yeah. <laughs> can kill angels and also righteous men. <laughs> Who knew rebar was the most powerful oh, no! in the universe? <laughs> it's a real shame that no one else could appreciate the comedy of you actually standing up and leaving. <laughs> Parallels of that are insane. I know. I mean, not to spoil the finale, but, but like, Jamie also... knows what happens in the finale, and, well, it... <laughs> potato, potato. <laughs> anyway, so I'm pretty sure he was supposed to die in that fight. I'm pretty sure Alistair was supposed to kill him. I might be wrong. I might be misremembering. There is another episode coming up that it could have been, which for anyone at home listening, I don't remember what the title of the episode is, but it's the one where we meet Jimmy. That episode. I if it, if it wasn't this one, I think it was supposed to be that one where he died. So I can't 100% remember. But the point is, I think at this point, they had already swapped those storylines. Insane. Insane. And I think the thing that is most insane about that choice is that they had established Anna as a love interest. And then they were like, we'll just give that storyline to Cass. No implications no, there. No, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly happen that we are not counting on? What? Gay people? Nah. <laughs> anyway, Anna and Cass. I really love their interactions. I think they're really interesting. As you said, like, Anna sort of represents something that Cass wants, but he's afraid of. And he is. He's terrified. At the end of this episode, he's asking her, what do I do? Just tell me what to do. And then it's more in line with Uriel's version of disobedience, in which he's not necessarily disobedient. He's just changed whose orders he's following. Exactly. Exactly. Then she makes the point of, no, it's time for you to think for yourself. And that is the thing that angels are not supposed to be able to do. Having that independent thought, that is not something that they're supposed to be capable of. Like, even in this episode we get from Cass, I'm considering disobedience. For the first time, I feel. 
And it's not like I feel happy or I feel confused. It's just I feel. Full stop. I am experiencing emotion and they're not supposed to. And like even he says to Dean earlier in the episode in a line that drives me cuckoo bananas insane, he says, my superiors think that I was getting too close to the humans in my charge, you. Like they've begun to question my sympathies and basically he's saying that they think that my judgment is clouded because I like you. Okay. So let's just unpack that line a little Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. Inside a bit there. What is insane to me about that line is that when Cass first starts saying it, Mm -hmm. it's like the writers, not to get too meta, but it's like the writers were writing it from the perspective of like, Cass isn't just like sort of watching over Dean, like he's watching over a whole bunch of humans. Yeah, like, or at least Dean and Sam. Like, at least least the two of them. Multiple. Because it says the humans. Like, it's plural. Uh Uh-huh. And then he immediately clarifies you. We're going to come up. Singular. We are going to come across a bunch of these examples. And we're going to talk about them every single time. Without fail. Because they are all this insane. They are all this insane. There is almost every time we get a clarification about Cass and his relationship to humans, it almost always either starts with a plural and ends on a singular or vice versa. Starts on a singular and then ends on a plural. Like, it is it is almost never just one by itself. Like, I can't think of an example right now that's one by itself. Because he doesn't say, like, like you or including you. Yeah. He says you. you. Yeah. Singular. No one else. Like, yeah. And at this point, he has barely interacted with Sam ever. Like, Dean is really the only person we see him interact with for more than, like, ten seconds. And, like, the thing is they start with the implication that maybe, like, there are other charges that he's looking over and then they immediately Mm -hmm. remove those implications, which I think is kind of sad because, like, I think that'd be kind of interesting. Like, if Cass wasn't just responsible for, like, Dean, if he's not just Dean's babysitter, (laughs) but rather he's trying to, like, watch... Like, multiple. Multiple. While we're talking about Dean and Cass, I do want to touch on the fact that they keep having silent conversations through this whole episode, and I find that really, really interesting, because it's fun to see that, like, bearing in mind, these guys have known each other for, like, just over three months. This is episode 16, so... Oh, four months. Just over four months. So they've known each other as long as Dean's been not dead. (laughs) Yeah. Episode a week, four weeks to a month, four, four episodes to a month. Yeah, and they haven't interacted always that entire time. And yet they're having just silent conversations just with their eyes. Even at the very beginning of the episode when they walk into the motel room and Uriel and Cass are waiting. And Uriel is the one in charge of that conversation because Cass's superiors have begun to question his sympathies. And because they're fearing that he is beginning to express emotion. So they're like, Cass has to be to the sidelines. Uriel is going to take this because Uriel, to their eyes, is not a risk. Which I is know. fucking hilarious. Yes. Anyway, so we've got Cass to the sidelines, and there's this part where, I can't remember the exact line, but Cass is saying something, and Uriel interrupts him and says, and we don't care. And he, like, reminds Cass, like, we don't care, but it's very clear that Cass definitely cares, and we get a couple of reaction shots. Credit to Misha here, because he literally turns, and you can see him go into the soldier mode. You can see him, like, jut out his chin, and, like, put on the stoic face, and be like suppress those emotions, real repression like, Dean would be proud, and Dean sees it, and Dean recognises it, and he, you can see it because he's looking at Cass and he's like, he cares. 
And that, I think, is why when they have kidnapped him and taken him to Alistair, he says, I want to speak to Cass alone. Because he knows Cass does care. Even if he doesn't think he cares about him. He knows that he cares more than Uriel, at least. I find it very funny, though, that this show is very quickly becoming the Misha Collins reaction shot show. <laughs> like, any new information, it's like, we gotta get, we gotta get a cast reaction shot. We're gonna get our, we're gonna get our money's worth for paying Misha yeah. to be here. <laughs> it's like, any new information, any new character, like, they're going straight to Misha. It's like, oh, we can hear Alistair screaming, better check on what, how Cass is feeling about Basically, that. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I also love that uh, the angels just take Dean and peace out, and then Sam is just alone in the motel room, and he's like, come on! (laughs) It was very entertaining. While we're still talking about Cass, I do want to, like, just quickly touch on the way Cass says goodbye, sister, and now all I can think is, like... Bye, sister? (laughs) Yes, bye, sister. (laughs) That made me laugh, too. (laughs) But the other thing that's making me think of is, like, an AU where Cass is, like, in a Mormon family with, like, 20 wives, and all 20 wives have, like, 20 children, so it's, like, 400 kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not a bad analogy. <laughs> it's not a bad analogy. You've got God mm-hmm. and his one billion children. Yeah. and then in a religious cult, essentially. But in this AU, then clearly Cass goes to, like, university or college and, like, meets Dean. Gets educated. I've read and this fanfic. Doesn't want to be a Morbid anymore. I'm sure I've read this fanfic, probably 12 different variations of it. Yeah, I see exactly where you're coming from. And it's definitely something that people do draw on. We talked before about how like so much family trauma is involved in Supernatural. Religious trauma is right up in there as well. What I will say about that opening, though, is that I adore it. I love it. I think it's one of it's one of the few sort of Supernatural episodes, especially to this point, where we don't have like some like a monster hunting sequence. Like there's no no one being chased, no one screaming, no one like running for their lives. No one or, discovering a dead body well, I like mean, and screaming and Yeah, it's more like, clinical. Yeah. It's it's less like Cass is discovering a dead body and more like he is the detective sent to investigate. Yeah. So he like he's expecting it. It's not like a victim stumbling upon a he human who's knows. been decapitated by a fucking like he- shadow demon. He already knows what's happened. Yeah. And basically he comes upon the, upon the scene and he turns off all of the car alarms and then it's just silent and he just goes to the body and then the police – and it's just – I first of all, I think cinema, like the cinematography of it, I think it's beautiful. And also as the camera pans up and then you get the spotlight that goes over the wings on the pavement, I really appreciate that – we've talked about this before, we talked about it in Lazarus Rising, but that – they didn't go for like the fluffy wing. We appreciated that they had it like as oh, it's like a shadow kind of thing. I love that they. I choose. feel like if they'd done the fluffy wing thing correctly, it would have looked really cool if they had like the wings like disintegrate into ash. Mm, that's true. And then you just have like the ash wings. True, but I. But do... I feel like that's less sustainable long term to make sure it looks good each time. And I, I really, really love the effect of the wings being burnt into the surface behind yeah. the angel. Because we think see it, it looks, again when Uriel dies. When Uriel dies. And I, I think, one, it's really effective. I also think it's kind of beautiful. Like, I think there's a certain grace in it, and I think that's appropriate given but the, the nature of the, Though, the thing dying. we have gotten a little bit of what I've been saying, which is maybe angels aren't the good guys. Yeah. I think in a less interesting way than I what I was imagining. Because I thought, okay, so this episode pretty soundly, like, 
my theory that maybe like angels are like the bad guys and demons are just trying to like maintain the world order. Yeah. No. Demons want the apocalypse. It's pretty well established. Established. Demons want the apocalypse. That's great. Whatever. It's less like maybe angels want the apocalypse and demons want Earth to remain as is. And more, there is a pocket of angels who want the apocalypse, who are now siding with the demons who also want the apocalypse. It's a lot more complicated because I would argue that I think there are probably, uh, there's probably a facet of yeah. demons like the demon from yeah. Sin City who probably don't really want the apocalypse. Yeah. So I, I do think that there are both camps on both sides. Yeah. And that does make it a lot more complex and a lot more interesting, but also makes it harder to distinguish who is on your team. Yeah. Because you can't just assume, oh, you're a demon, which means you're against us. Angel's good. Angel's, you're good. Yeah. Which does bring me to, how are you feeling about Ruby? I I feel like I'm getting more mistrustful of her. Okay. Because she seems to be manipulating Sam at every turn. And, like, I understand that, like, manipulation is, like, a cornerstone of the demon Species. Species. And I also want to say that me being mistrustful of Ruby doesn't mean I don't like her as a character. Yeah. I think she's very interesting as a character. I think it's... Not necessarily refreshing, but it's like... She's not Sam or Dean. She's not Sam or Dean. Like, she adds something else to the dynamic that makes it a little less, like... Having Ruby and having Cass makes season four and... Makes it less of, like, the Sam and Dean show. Yeah. And, like, the Sam and Dean show is great. If now you it's the Misha Collins reaction shot show. Now it's the Misha <laughs> Collins reaction shot show. So, like, you know, it's great if it's the Sam and Dean show if you love Sam or Dean, but, like, I personally don't love Sam or Dean. Yeah, or at least you don't connect or relate to like, them. Yeah, they're, they're fine. They're interesting characters, but, like, they're not my blobos. <laughs> it is interesting that she adds, like, this another, like, dimension, this other layer to it. But it's, like, I also just, I don't know, like, I just don't trust her. Yeah, no, that's Like, fine. she just seems to be getting more and more, like, manipulative. Mm-hmm. Like, as Sam trusts her more, like, Sam will give so- an inch and she'll take a yard. Like, yeah. She seems to be, like, really taking what Sam's given her and running. Yeah. Um, And it doesn't seem to be coming from a place of, like, genuine care for Sam or for Dean. Like, it just seems to be coming for, from a place of, this is what I want. Okay, so you think she has her own ulterior motive? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, you've always kind of thought that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I just don't think it's, like, the ulterior motive that everyone would probably sandwich her with, which is she wants to kill Sam or Dean. It's like... Mm. If that was her ulterior motive, she's done a shit job of it achieving. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna be honest. The thing that annoys me most about Ruby in this episode is that she calls Sam Sammy. I'm like, he doesn't even like it when Dean calls him that, and also it feels so wrong coming from you. So that bothered me. I want to bring us back to the start of the episode. Yeah. So they're coming from Pamela's funeral. Yeah. Which is just depressing because mm-hmm. we love Pam and it's horrible that she died and. Dean is rightfully pretty fucked off with Cass and with Uriel and with the situation at large for the fact that Pamela died it, to the point where he says, like, you remember Pamela? Yeah, Cass, you remember her. You burned her fucking eyes out. We, like That is rude. That is so fucking rude. <laughs> Cass was like, don't fucking do this. I don't want to do this. She's like, nah, bitch. I'm going to do this. He's like, no, you do not understand. Do not fucking do this. I'm sorry, but, like, when you get warned like that, yeah, you've got to at least take some of the responsibility for burning your own eyes out. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, No, no, I get it. She she did not acknowledge the safety warnings on the label. Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> I love that you've become the defend cast squad. That's... 
I think it's just really kind of rude because, like, I don't think there's anything Cass could have done in that situation. No, she was forcing him. To not burn her eyes out. Like, yeah. he did not have a choice. He did not want to do that. Like, she was summoning him. She was summoning him. He tried to warn her against summoning him. Mm-hmm. And she did it anyway. And then, like, she was a bit, she was a bit cocky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I still am sad that she's died. Yeah. Oh, Obviously. yeah. 100%. She's still a great character, but it's just a very low blow for Dean to be like, this thing was your fault when this, it wasn't. It, it, yeah. Like, ad- objectively wasn't. Like, yeah. I think for Dean, it's more like he needs something to be mad at. He needs something to blame. Yeah. And it's easy to pin it on the angels. And in that instance, easy to pin it on Cass. Yeah. So I want to talk quickly about the fact that Dean says specifically, like, I'm tired of burying friends, Sam. And I want to... This is the all my friends are dead meme, isn't it? <laughs> Actually, that's not for a little while. But... So, yes, like, he's saying, I'm tired of bearing friends, Sam. And I want to touch on the fact that he says I'm tired. Because that was something that he was really strong on vocally in season two. Like, especially in Croatoan. Very much, like, the narrative of I'm tired, I'm over it. I, like, basically, I... He's basically suicidal again. And we had a brief stint where he wasn't. And he kind of believed that he had a purpose and he was really focused on this idea of being given a second chance and being on a mission from God and the angels having work for him to do. He really clutched to that concept. And then after his discussion with Tessa, that's gone now. Mm. Like she said to him that, you know, you, you don't kid yourself. You're lying to yourself. You know better than this. And it's thrown him straight back into, well, I'm, I'm just over it. I'm so tired. I, I just, I'm done. Dina Sam. Dina Sam? Dina Sam. Hot take. <laughs> Dina sad. Sam is angry. Yeah. If you want to boil them down to their bare essentials. This episode, we get the information that apparently Dean broke the first two. Yes, I was just going to ask you about this. I don't know if I necessarily believe that. Oh, okay. Because, like, it's very clear that Alistair believes that. Mm. It's very clear that the angels believe that. Mm-hmm. I think it would be more interesting if they're both mistaken okay what would be the alternative i'm trying to put like the words together in my brain before i say something that's ridiculous which has never stopped (laughs) me before i know but (laughs) i think it would be more interesting if it was a character like henriksen or a character who was less morally gray on earth because they call him the righteous man Based on my knowledge of the definition of righteous, I wouldn't describe Dean that way really at all. I'm going to look up the definition. Let's find because I actually don't know the exact definition. Morally right or justifiable. Feelings of righteous indignation about pay and conditions. Mm. Or, very good, excellent. Righteous eggs, man. <laughs> Which is the funniest use of the word righteous. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but some synonyms are good, virtuous, or upright. Worthy, decent, uncorrupted. Because I would argue that as a character, Dean was pretty morally grey. Before he died, I would argue that Dean is morally grey. I would not describe Dean as someone who is righteous. Mm. Like, his sense of justice is not from, like, a place of morality. It's from a place of justice, if that makes Mm. sense. Like, it's not about... What is, like, necessarily legally right. Yeah, and not even necessarily legally right, but it's... Just look at the way, like, okay, like, they are sort of justifiable, but the, um, like, the amount of choices he has made where he's sort of been like, 
I don't care too much about the human cost of stopping this monster. I need to stop this monster. If his characterization was more in line with, like, Sam, who, like, has a stronger moral compass until he started drinking demon blood, it would make sense for me. But, like, for me, it just doesn't seem to be, like... I I would argue, honestly, that... Like, I think I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there because mm-hmm. we have a bunch of examples. Like, we have examples, like, in Krabatoan, for instance, where Dean goes to threaten to shoot the kid and Sam stops him or whatever. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, Dean decides to trust Sam and to not shoot the kid. That's not something that he was made to do. It's something that he chose to do. Then we have, like, episodes like Juice and Below where they had the option to sacrifice mm-hmm. the one person and Dean was the one who flat out refused. He would not let it happen. I think that... We've talked about before, Dean values everyone else above himself. Mm. And I think that that may come into the interpretation of it. He is willing to sacrifice everything that he has for the sake of everyone else. And if you're talking about, you know, the apocalypse, I think that that in and of itself, a man who is willing to sacrifice everything that he is and has for the sake of literally the entire world, I think it would come under the category of righteous. Or even if he thinks that he is... Because you can be self-righteous as well. Yeah. So I suppose it depends on the way you're interpreting it. Yeah. But I do think he counts. And I I would argue that Sam is actually less so. Because Sam has been sort of more willing to say, well, I don't care about what anyone else wants. I don't care what anyone else thinks. This is what I'm focused on. I just feel like there's only so righteous you can be when you make a demon deal. That's fair. What I will say is that... Alistair tells us that it was John who was on the rack for the hundred years. John was supposed to break the first seal, right? And he tells us that because he's well, he tells Dean that because he's trying to to get under Dean's skin. I but, would say that either John was never given the option, John broke immediately, or John broke immediately, and he was just not a righteous man, so it didn't count. So here's the thing: I I'm going to tell you what the answer is because it's going to become abundantly clear. But they're they're not lying. Like Dean is the one who broke the first mm-hmm. seal, so he he is the righteous oh, man. Oh, I don't want them that to be lying. The, I want them to be mistaken. Oh, they're not mistaken. Yeah. They're right. So Dean is the prophesized mm-hmm. righteous man. The thing that confuses me about it is that I think that you could count Dean as righteous under certain contexts. I don't really think you could count John. Okay, so you're thinking like you agree with me in terms of like either John. Either John broke immediately or whatever. I don't think John broke, but I do think that it's weird to call him a righteous man. Yeah. Like, I don't think that John fits the prophecy. And knowing how the rest of the plot plays out, I really don't know how they would have gone with that. Oh, actually, I kind of do. I cannot elaborate on that. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I've just spent an entire episode saying I can't elaborate on that, so it's fair, I guess. To me, it makes sense that Dean is the righteous man. I agree that he obviously is not totally innocent, but I would argue that the point of humanity is that none of us are. So I think it comes down to interpretation and it also comes down to fate. When I think a righteous man, I would have figured that it would be someone who was, like, for someone who their sense of justice was more central to their characterization. I think it if is. If that makes sense. I think because I definitely is very central. Think I, I definitely think, like, Dean has a sense of justice. I just don't think it's central to his characterization, at least in my interpretation of the character. And I don't know, it just... Maybe there is, like, maybe there's something else that's going into this. Maybe there is other factors at play 
that mean that it like the righteous man could only be D, if that makes sense. But like if the the question is like a righteous man spilling blood in hell, I feel like I don't think that Dean is uniquely righteous to therefore qualify for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like and maybe that's just like because of the limitations of knowledge I have at the moment about what the sort of like requirements for the righteous man were. I will tell you there are other factors that make Dean a specific candidate for being the righteous man who breaks the first seal. Like there yeah. are outside things going on that are spoilers that you will find out about. Yeah. But I I will tell you that much. Like Yeah. Yeah. But like from my vantage point where I'm sitting now, it just sort of seems like if all you need is a righteous man to spill blood and hell, either none of them have broken yet. Like but it just it just seems weird that it's like I'm sure there have been other righteous men. Like if if your bar for righteous level is Dean Winchester. <laughs> I'm sure there are more righteous people who ended up in hell who have spilled blood. Yeah. So like that's 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 all well, my point is. I suppose the other thing is not everyone is given that offer. Mm. John and Dean were given that offer. That is not an offer that is extended to every. But soul. you'd also figure if one of the seals is like a righteous man must spill blood in hell. Mm-hmm. Either that, or and this all is of the I'm... other righteous men they've had in hell so far. Because they said this episode, the prophecy is that they will both start and end the apocalypse. They were more righteous, right? But because they're more righteous, Hell was worried that they would do the right thing to stop the apocalypse. Whereas because Dean has that grey area, that's why they targeted him. Like I said, there are other factors involved that make Dean a particular target for this. Uh, I'm not going to comment on anything else. Yeah. But I can promise you that you will know... Like it's it's all, I mean you know that this plot is all revolved within Kripke era. Yeah. The information from this point comes a lot quicker and faster than it yeah. has up until now. A lot of the cards. Well, were if we were doing the same pacing as you've done for the first four seasons, we wouldn't find this one out until season seven. Yeah. <laughs> so while we're on the topic of righteousness, mm-hmm. there is another quote from Anna that I wanted to ask you about. It's in the same discussion she was having with Cass before when when Cass tells her that he's under orders to kill her. She says, the father you love, you think he'd ask this of you. You think this is righteous. What you're feeling, it's called doubt. And I do think it's important to recognise that, like, Cass is recognising that this is not righteous, what is happening. And so he's been told, like, this is the righteous man and this is the righteous path. And he's like, I don't know, man, it doesn't feel like it's righteous. Mm. And that's the thing, like, he's not supposed to question it. He's not supposed to feel that it's not righteous, he's not supposed to feel anything. And so the fact that not only he is feeling, but he is feeling doubt is actually huge for him. And I also want to ask you about the quote we get from Anna, where she says, stop him from doing this before you ruin the one real weapon you have. Did you have any thoughts about that at all? I think it's about him being the righteous man. Okay, yeah. So I think I think the the logic behind that line, at least, is the righteous man started the apocalypse the righteous man finishes the apocalypse what if between those two points he's no longer righteous he's no longer righteous <laughs> yeah. so doing something like this compromises the one real thing they have to be able to stop the apocalypse to finish the apocalypse so what like i think i think that's honestly what it's sort of like alluding to mm-hmm. like if he becomes a terrible person who's no longer righteous can he still stop the apocalypse? Yeah, okay, cool. 
Because cool. it's been prophesied, obviously, that it's the same person. That's the implication. Yes, so Dean is the righteous man who began the apocalypse, therefore yeah. he is the only righteous man who can end it. Yes, yes that is the, the It's idea. not just like any righteous man can start it and any righteous man can end it. No, it's, it's, it's specifically the same righteous man. Yeah. I also want to very quickly touch on when Cass has said, I'm considering disobedience for the first time. I feel Anna's response is, it gets worse. And I think that's so funny for her. <laughs> Like, I just think that's hilarious. It's also very true mm. because the good thing about being, you know, an angel in this instance is you don't have to feel bad about anything and you also don't have to make any decisions. Everything is done for you. And so to choose to leave that safety net and mm. to, like, make your own choices and have your own emotions is not only incredibly scary but also incredibly vulnerable. And so her saying, like, it gets worse, like, she's just being honest with him. She's being honest, but she's also, like, said to Dean that the emotions of the humanity of it all is worth it. Like, it's worse, but it's worth it. It's better than being a marble statue, I think, is what she says back in 410, I think it was. You know, and it's also, Cass has a certain fondness for humanity at large. Not just Dean. He does have a fondness for Dean. It's very obvious. But for humanity at large. And it's also very clear that... So humanity at large is Dean, Yeah. Dean equals humanity. That's the, that is the uh, mathematical equation. I mean, he is the righteous man. Yeah. So, oh, 401, Lazarus Rising. Do you remember me talking about the colours? Mm-hmm. So Cass, yeah. the blue for heaven. This is why Dean Green Earth. So, like, he is the, the righteous man, representative of humanity. And Sam with red, obviously, he's been sucking on demon blood. So that's kind of where a lot of that symbolism comes in fucking hilarious that her name is ruby yeah right (laughs) yeah the layers never end with this one so i also want to talk about does that mean it's also significant that cass has a blue tie yeah it probably also doesn't like hurt that misha has the bluest eyes of all time so yeah and actually jensen's are green so that's why you have the green and blue love hearts so where are Sam's contacts? <laughs> where are Sam's red eyes? <laughs> I want them now. So do we meet a demon with red eyes? Yes. Are they cool? Yes. Do we like the demon with red eyes? Yes. Okay, they can replace Sam, it's fine. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure, it, the demon I'm thinking of, I'm pretty sure, it, I, I mean, I'll just tell you, I'm pretty sure at some point we see Crowley have red eyes. Okay. I'm pretty sure. So <laughs> I could be wrong on that, but that's the demon I'm thinking of. So if I just said, yeah, they're cool, and it's like a different demon, I'm so sorry. But I'm pretty sure at some point we see Crowley have red eyes, and that's what I'm thinking of. Wait, does Crowley normally have a different color eyes? And then it... I can't remember. Honestly, we don't see Crowley's eyes not look like just normal human eyes very often. Because Mark Shepard, why would you hide those why beautiful would you, eyes? Why would you hide those beautiful, expressionful yeah. eyes? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, anywho, very quickly while we're on, we were talking about 401 and like the color symbolism, there are a couple of other shots in this episode that I really, really adore and something that I love going through this season and also the next in particular is the way that angels are depicted using the set. And I love through this episode we get the halos of overhead lamps, overcast specifically. They also shoot like sort of from a lower angle to make them look bigger. Yeah, yeah. I think that they are wonderful shots. And I also love that Cass standing under the street lamp 
And also when Dean is torturing Alistair as well, you get a lot of flickering lights above Cass, which I think is really interesting considering like the heaven imagery, but also the fact that Cass is questioning the orders of heaven. I think that the flickering of the light is a really fascinating choice as well. Like obviously it's partially just like the demon is being tortured and it's it's sort of flow on power, but in terms of reading Cass's character, I do think it is a phenomenal decision. And I do love the use of the lights as halos on top of the burnt wings and everything. I just think it's really, really well done. Uh, and also, I liked the bar imagery when Sam and Cass are arguing in the hospital uh, mm. when Dean is like unconscious and they're out in the hallway. We get the slanted bar imagery across both of them. I think that's really interesting because they are both, in a sense, very trapped in this moment. They are both being manipulated in ways that they don't fully understand, I think, mm. is what is interesting. I feel like I have a memory of like there being a third Winchester sibling who is like trapped in hell in a cage of some sort. And like, I don't know when that is or when that's relevant, but I feel like... You have a recollection of it somewhere. Yeah. And, and this is why you're like, ah, the bar imagery. Yes. That's like what is like in my brain. That's like bar imagery. Don't they have like a third brother or some shit who's like stuck in hell or some shit I, in a cage? Look, I'm like, not going to get into speculation about that right now. <laughs> There's too much going on in this episode. So we should talk about Cass's siblings, like the trickster who's an angel. Okay, I'm not going to entertain that, but we are going to talk about Cass's siblings, so okay. we'll use that as an excellent segue. You're welcome. Oh, wait, I have a note about mystery spot. Okay, well, yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> you just reminded me. Okay, so what? because I was 99% sure that this was the episode that we got the reveal about the demon mm. blood and like all this other stuff about Dean being the righteous man, blah, 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 I wanted to make sure that this was the episode I was thinking of before I was like, Jamie, like, this is going to be a big one. So I looked up the transcript and I came across, like, you know, the whole script, blah, blah, blah. And as I was scrolling through it to check for the right scenes, the scene where Sam is driving by himself, right, after he's had the demon blood, there is a note next to that that the scene needs to look exactly how Sam looked in the mystery spot. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't know that. So, but watching the scene, I was like, it does look exactly the same as when he went on his like solo spiral yeah. after Dean died in Mystery Spot. It's exactly the same. So to clarify, mm. when Dean is in hell, that's all of the Tuesdays, right? And then Dean comes back, and it's the Wednesday where Dean dies. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe I've missed your point. You're looking at me real intense. <laughs> Did that not click in your brain too? No. It's like, well, while Dean's, like, while Dean's in hell, it's driving Sam insane. Like, Mm -hmm. he's going insane, he's doing whatever, he's just trying to, like, survive, essentially. Mm -hmm. But then Dean comes back. And it's sort of, like, the same thing as when, like, Dean comes back and then dies again, but permanently. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like Dean coming back is what triggered... But then he's lost him again. But in this Mm. this instance, Dean hasn't died, obviously. He's still alive. But he has lost the connection. Because Dean no longer trusts him. Yeah. And this is what I was about to talk to you about with Cass and his siblings. You're welcome. I'm full of great points. (laughs) So the conversation that Cass and Uriel have at the end of the episode before Anna kills Uriel is so linked with Sam and Dean. Like, if you imagine Cass being Dean, Sam being Uriel, Mm-hmm. Like you could, you could have the same conversation. Like both Dean and Cass are realizing that their brothers have been somehow corrupted 
these people that they have known forever and fought side by side with forever and trusted implicitly to have their backs have somehow been coerced or corrupted. And Dean said, I can't remember if it was last episode or a couple of episodes ago, but he made the point of like, you can, you know, do whatever you want, but don't treat me like I'm stupid. Like, Mm. don't, like, I'm not an idiot, basically. And Cass essentially says the same thing here. He says, we're brothers, pay me that respect and tell me the truth. And I think it's really, really interesting that both Dean and Cass are simultaneously learning that they can't trust their brothers in this way. And Dean even equates both of their fathers in this episode by saying, I guess I'm not the man either of our fathers wanted us to be. And we've talked before about John being Dean's god equivalent, particularly when he was younger. But I think that this point is where it really starts to show the similarities between the family dynamics of what Cass is dealing with in heaven and what Dean is dealing with just in his earth family. And I did want to touch on the conversation at the very, very end of the episode when Dean is saying to Cass, like, you know, is it true? Did I jumpstart the apocalypse? And Cass makes the point, like, Dean, they don't tell me much. Like, all I know is that our fate rests with you. And I think that that is Cass being very, very honest with him because I think that his world has just been so rocked and he doesn't really know what to do now and like he's been told that by Anna that she's not going to tell him what to do and he doesn't feel like right in doing what everyone else is telling him to do and so we have that very vulnerable conversation between the both of them actually they're both probably the most vulnerable we've seen them Cass ever and Dean in a while And they're having this moment together where I think they're both reckoning with this realisation that they can't trust the people that they thought they could. And they don't really know the people that they thought they knew. They were loyal to the idea of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And also, they're now in this position where Cass is being told, you have to do it alone. No one is going to tell you what to do. No one is going to be there to give you orders. And Dean, who has already had to reckon with that, with the loss of John is now having to reckon with the fact that he's having to do it alone. No one can do it but him. All of this pressure has been placed on his shoulders and he can't even help, like, get help from Sam. Not really. Because he can't trust Sam. And I think that this is the foundation of a lot of the relationship that Dean and Cass will have from this point. Is this moment where both of them are like just sitting with each other, fully aware that neither of them knows what to do. And also have both lost faith in their family, which is what they have always had the most faith in. Not to advocate for a female character dying, but I would be... <laughs> I would what be, a sentence. I would be very interested to see what would happen if Ruby died. Mm. And then Sam had to find some other source for his addiction. Yeah. That, that would be interesting. Maybe maybe Ruby dies and we get Meg back. <laughs> you think that's how Meg comes back? Yeah. They're like, right, who's a demon we can trust? Very quickly, before I get off the Dean Cass stuff, because I don't remember if I've already said it, one other thing that I do really like about Dean and Cass in this episode is the moment when Dean says, if you ask me to do this, you ask me to go through this door, you will not like what walks back out. And Cass says, for what it's worth, I would give anything not to have you do this. And I think that that is, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I think the only way you can even begin to sort of fathom the complexities of the relationship that these two are building is to remember that Cass is billions of years old and he's known Dean Winchester for four months. Like Dean is Bella Twilight. 
literally actually do you know what's something really funny about twilight is that ruby makes the comment when she walks into the fucking motel she's like i can still smell them sam and i was like oh my god just like the fucking vampires and werewolves in twilight like mm, they're stinky <laughs> i don't like it for my actual serious point that i wanted to make that actually builds really well onto that oh, really? <laughs> not the twilight but the point <laughs> that you were making before that we get the line that you left something of yourself in the pit, mm-hmm. which is very interested when contrasted with the line from that we get from Azazel of how are you certain that what you brought back is 100% pure sand? It is definitely really interesting. In this particular instance, I think that what Alistair is getting at is that Dean sort of abandons the part of himself that was the torturer. He's yeah. like he like left that part of him behind. He yeah. didn't pick that back up when he came back to Earth. In fact, he actively tried to repress it. Yeah. And so repression boy. Repression boy. And I think that that's why like in this scene, Alistair says to him, "Let's see if we can put you back together. Mm. Like, let's see if we can reconcile that part of you." And I think that is why he says to Cass, "You're not going to like what walks back out because he knows that if he opens that like can of worms, they're all going to come tumbling out." That's why it's really interesting when contrasted with what if Sam was going to be the righteous man? What if my neighbor's cat was on my roof? <laughs> okay, so just just hear me out here. Obviously, Sam is not the righteous man. Yeah. But if Sam had died in the season two finale like he was meant to, would it have been possible for him to be the righteous man despite the demon blood? Because, because of other plot stuff, no. Okay. Interesting take, but I like because of other plot stuff, no. For the same reasons that it could be John. Yeah, similar. So it, I mean, it could have been John if they wanted to follow a different sort of structure. But for the same reasons that Dean is better suited to being the righteous man, like that kind of discounts Sam from being the righteous man. Like there's there's a couple more layers here that you're not aware of yet but you will be relatively soon but like if it was like specifically about the winchesters or whatever that would have been an interesting way to see it play out like for sam to actually get stuck in hell and dean not like if dean had resisted the urge to make the deal make the deal immediately and instead tried to find some other way and maybe like maybe then he prays to god or something and then like Mm -hmm. the angels come and save sam and sam has had four months in hell to like to break yeah. Interesting. It is interesting. I want to take a quick moment to appreciate the actor who played Alistair fully tapping his toes as he was singing when Dean walks in. I just think it's a very fun touch. I've never noticed it before, but it did make me giggle a little bit. Also, his evil laugh is on point. Like, it's a good evil laugh. I also wanted to touch on the fact that he tells Dean, like, Dean's like, oh, you'll be disappointed. And he's like, you haven't disappointed me this far, thus far. And I'm like, Oof. imagine the only kind of praise you get from a, like, adult male being from the demon who's teaching you to be a master torturer. Like, so do you want to tell me John was ever that fucking supportive so- of anything Dean ever did? You think John ever said, you've not disappointed me so far? No. <laughs> So I need to add Alistair onto my list of better fathers than John John Winchester. Yes, absolutely. And then he he goes on to say, you're not the man your daddy wanted you to be. Further confirming our point, John's expectations 
were ridiculous. Ridiculous. And also just, like, honestly, have been worse for the world as a whole. Like, because mm. there is a way to be a hunter and also be generally well-adjusted. Yeah, we've seen Ellen. Bobby. Bobby. Yeah. Joe. Even Ash. There is a way for him to have raised his sons to be hunters with a knowledge of the supernatural that wouldn't have emotionally damaged them to the point where they're putting the fucking world at risk. Because let's face it, if they weren't so heavily codependent, Dean wouldn't have sold his soul to save Sam and the first seal wouldn't have broken and the apocalypse wouldn't be happening. So obviously Dean is like having a moment when Alistair has told him all this stuff about his dad and, and bits and pieces and he's not facing him. And that's when Alistair escapes the trap. And the part where Dean is choking when Alistair is like holding him off the ground like that. That's the face that I make. The face that Jensen Ackles makes there is the face that I make anytime I open up my laptop and see my reflection in the screen. (laughs) Well, what I was going to say is that's real. That's not stunt. That's like intentionally. Yeah. That was a choice. It's in a safe environment. They had the proper. That was very consensual, but like that was, that was a choice. It's consensual, you say. (laughs) That was like a, choice and I may be remembering this wrong but I'm 99.9% certain that that was something that Jensen was like no no like I let's if we're gonna do it let's do it for real so I just thought I would let you know because it's not often that that is the case for obvious reasons you don't want to actually choke people but in that particular scene and I don't think it happened throughout maybe the series. you don't want to actually choke people. <laughs> but in that particular scene like he, that he actually is being like properly asphyxiated Worth telling you, I suppose. At least it was an autoerotic. <laughs> Look, we'll touch back on that another time. Oh, and the angel exorcism that Alistair does. Yes! I don't think we ever see that ever again. <laughs> I forgot about it. He's like, I can send you back to heaven. And then he starts chanting, and I was like, what the fuck is he doing? I, I'm sure that we never ever get that again. And if we do, it's very rare. Because there are ways, like, you know that blood sigil thing that Anna does yeah. that, like, sends them back to, to wherever? That we see a lot. Yeah. Whatever it was that Alistair was doing, I don't think we ever see that again. Maybe they realised it would be too easy if it was just, like, a normal exorcism. Yeah. But for angels, like... But there were choices made, certainly. Certainly choices made. Certainly choices made. I mostly wanted to know what you were thinking about this episode because we get so many reveals. Like, this is a huge exposition-y episode, although I do do appreciate... It's exposition-y, but I don't think it feels exposition-y. Oh, no, it's not, like... The pilot feels exposition-y. Yeah, and it, I do want to note, this is a Ben Edlund episode. Yeah, this just and feels more like one of the season finales, which is, like, exposition-y, but because it's... I think it's the difference between fresh exposition and the same exposition as you've already gotten a dozen times. Yeah, but I think this is also a case of, like, these are reveals that we have been building to. We knew that there was a reason that the angels pulled Dean out of hell and we didn't really know why. Now we know. We got confirmation from Cass. It's because... We were trying to get you before you broke the seal. And then we didn't do that, but we need you anyway. We need you to prevent the rest of the apocalypse from unfolding. And we knew something was up with Sam. You somehow fucking predicted that he was drinking demon blood. And now we have that confirmation. Sam's drinking demon blood. We're getting a lot of the things that have been built up to, like, fully actually realized. So I don't think it... I'm not sure if it counts as exposition because no. it's really just the reveal that we've been waiting for. But also there's a difference between getting new information and exposition. Mm-hmm. Exposition is dead man's blood when they're trying to explain the cult. 
It's, oh, wow, this magical gun that was made by this person in this year and it can kill any living being. That is exposition. This is just getting information. It's Look, it's a Ben Edlund episode. My stance on Ben Edlund is largely... Positive. It's very well documented. I, I love his episodes. Rarely does he miss, and this is no exception. I yeah. adore this episode. And, like, there are moments of exposition in this episode. It's impossible for them not to be, given the nature but of the episode. There's there there's exposition in every episode. Like, yeah. you can't expect it to be completely without exposition. All we ask is that it for, for it to be, like, new information and not just the same thing that you've told us two dozen times already. And it was also directed by Michael Roll. And I don't immediately recognise his name. I couldn't tell you what other episodes he's directed of Supernatural off the top of my head. But I did want to point it out because I do think that there are some beautiful shots in this episode. And I think some of the lighting choices, the creative lighting choices are fantastic. I not only think that it's a really important episode for a number of characterization reasons and plot reasons, I also think that it's enjoyable to watch. And I also think that it's arguably very beautifully made. Like, this episode is a general, like, I can't think of anyone within fandom who I've ever come across who does not like this episode, or at least doesn't appreciate the importance of this episode. I'm putting you in category two for that (laughs) one. And, you know, so I think it is arguably, and I know that I'm about to say this about the CW Supernatural, created by Eric Kripke, Mm -hmm. but I do think it is arguably a very beautiful piece of media. Like, I think this is good television. And that is subjective, obviously. But I do think that there are arguable points where you could say, no, the cinematography here is great. The characterization here is good. The, you know, I think that you could argue this episode is more artistic than a lot of the others. I like it because it feels less formulaic. Yes, that also helps. A break from the traditional structure that we've gotten used to. I don't mind formulaic TV. As long as I like the formula. My issue is I don't like the formula of Supernatural. Like, that has been one of my key issues. The writing's normally okay, but it's like just the structure of the episode and the way the episodes are structured and the way the season's structured. I don't love the formula. And that's why I really like episodes that break from the formula. That is why I really like Bad Day at Black Rock because it takes the formula and it messes with it a whole bunch. It's why I like Mystery Spot. Because it messed with the formula. I just don't like the sort of standard, we've got a case, we're going to go and be all angsty on the case, we're going to have one emotional reveal at the end by the car, and then we're going to move on. Look, I've got some bad news for you. (laughs) That's literally, I have read, there was this one Tumblr post that got really popular probably seven or eight years ago now, and it was literally like, let me write a Supernatural episode. And it was like, cold open, someone dies. And then it's like, the boys are shitty at each other. They put it aside to go on a case. They solve the case. Melodramatic emotional moment by the car. Maybe Cass was there. End of episode. And like, <laughs> that's almost essentially what you just yeah. said. And look, personal preferences. Your views are very well established. Yeah. And you like the formula and that's what matters. Honestly, I don't even notice the formula. Yeah. I couldn't give less of a shit about the formula. I'm here for the characters. Yeah. More than anything. I love the plots, especially of season four and five, but I'm not here for them. I am here for the characters. I, I think that they're so fascinating. You don't give a lame. shit about the formulaic episodes as long as they have something interesting to say about the characters. Yeah, I don't give a shit like about Houses the of the Holy. Yeah. Formulaic as hell. Says some really interesting things about the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I could not give less of a shit. And I'm not going to lie to you. By the end of the show, I wasn't there for the plot. 
I was there for convenience, convenience, convenience. You're watching Supernatural. I I was there for the characters because I think that they're fascinating. I think that there is so much to, to delve into with them. So if that is all for today, how would you rate this episode on the head of a pin out of five? I think this week I'm going to have to give it like a three and a half out of five because like I understand that you're like, wow, the like direction's beautiful, the lighting's beautiful, and you're right. They did a really good job. Like props to the lighting team and the director for this episode. They did a really good job. The pacing was not actually bad, which is surprising for Supernatural. We did get some reveals that we've been waiting for, but I don't know. Like it just, I didn't enjoy myself watching it. So I can't like, I can't justifiably give it a four stars. I only give episodes that I liked watching a four stars. You know what I mean? Like only episodes where I feel like I had a good time. I think, I think three and a half is going to be, going to be it for me this week. I I am going to respectfully disagree with you. I think this episode is worth way more than a three and a half. Oh, I, I will say, though, I, I'm definitely loving the more we get from Cass. Like, I'm starting to form at least a slight attachment to Cass. Okay, cool. That's better than we've got for any of our other antagonists so far. I think it's just because he reminds me of Parker so much. The next episode is titled It's a Terrible Life. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, opinions, fears, hopes, dreams? Is that a play on It's a Wonderful Life? Because I'm pretty sure in A Wonderful Life there's like an angel who comes down and like... Pretty sure he wears a trench coat. <laughs> like I'm pretty, I don't think I've ever seen the movie, but I'm pretty sure he's, I'm pretty sure he wears a trench coat. Let me Google that. So like there's an angel that comes down and like essentially saves someone from themselves. Okay, now hear me out. It's a terrible life. So clearly it's not going to be an angel. It's going to be a demon. That demon is Meg. I have no other thoughts. Head empty. Okay, uh, so there is an angel named Clarence. This is a reference that will come back. Okay, straight up. It's a wonderful life. An angel comes down to save a man for some reason. I don't know. I haven't. I've never seen or watched. I've never seen the film and I've never read the book. No, but I'm pretty sure it's an angel who comes down and like shows someone the error of their ways and like kind of like a Christmas carol. I was going to say, do you mean a Christmas carol? <laughs> no, 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 but not. Like it's, it's not. I like, have no idea. But I'm imagining that, but instead of angels, it's demons. Because it's a terrible life, life, not it's a wonderful life. And I want that demon to be Meg. Okay. <laughs> that I is the one thing. Surprised. That is the one thing I cannot stress enough. I want that demon to be Meg. Okay. Oh, right. and then fun plot twist. Instead of saving, like, Sam or Dean, she's saving cats. <laughs> so you're looking for the cats-Meg dynamic? Yes, 100%. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Okay, so that just about does it for today's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed listening. We will be back next week to talk about It's a Terrible Life, see if Jamie is correct or incorrect about her predictions. In the meantime, if you wanted to interact with us in any way other than listening to us blurb on in your ear for an hour a week, you can always find us on any of our socials. All of the links will be in the episode description. And any topics for conversation could include... How much you also miss Meg. <laughs> Um, I would love to talk to people about Dean's method of torture for Alistair because I think that the holy water syringe is inspired, if I'm being honest. We didn't even talk about his fucking torture methods today. We did not. There is too much to cover. <laughs> uh, but yes, I think that that is pretty horrifying. So, or uh, the great line from Alistair, I think there's something caught in my throat. I think it's my throat. <laughs> uh, so, look, we, there's plenty, there's so much happens in this episode. Quite literally, we did not have time to unpack it all. So anything that you want to elaborate on or have ask us questions about, please feel free to hit us up. We will be more than happy to discuss it. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and hopefully we have you back next week.
Bye. Bye.